Okay, this morning I'm just going to read a, a few verses here uh, in Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image, and this is very key, not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make those that would come there to approach God perfect or complete. And notice this word image, and notice the word perfect or complete. Verse 2 says, For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers, and a worshiper is one, we're going to see what a a true worshiper is, for the, that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. So we'll read Titus chapter 1. And you can follow uh, Titus, the first chapter, uh, follow it through. But I'm just going to read in verse 15. And you can see how this will fit in. In, in Titus 1 and verse 15, it says, Unto the pure... And that's a key word this morning. So image, uh, perfect, and meaning complete. Uh, and then we see purge, and then we see pure. Now unto the pure, all things are pure. And uh, We said uh, yesterday, just briefly, that when it says that, when we function in the purity of a cleansed conscience, which we have in opposition, and when we experience it, when it says all things, mean, it means that we even see evil in a way that it doesn't affect us. That's what it's saying here. To the pure, all things are pure. So first and foremost, we see the purity of who we are in Christ by seeing Christ in us. And then, obviously, we see all things. To the pure, all things are pure. Really complete, finished. And then it says this, But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Now, obviously, this would be the place and condition or, or uh, standing and state of those that are unsaved, but it can also be a, a Christian functioning in the flesh. We've said before, there's no difference between the unsaved and the flesh. They're both They're both evil. Now, we are not of the flesh in Romans 8, verse 9. But we can function in a defiled conscience experientially. That's what the enemy goes after. So defiled, and and through what? Through unbelieving, is nothing pure. But even their mind, notice this, and conscience is defiled. Now, that is the standing, the place, and the state or the condition of those that are unsaved. But we can go back to that, even though we're not of it through the flesh in Romans 8, 9. Now, so here we are in time, and God has this, and we'll see this with a bunch of different uh, Hebrew words that God, if we have the time to get into, and we'll just get into those Hebrew words uh, this morning, won't even have the time to get into the Greek words because there's just so many of them and it's so incredible. 
But it's so very necessary for us because a conscience, a cleansed conscience has to do with a proper experience, which is based upon a proper position, which is based upon our image in Christ. That's 1 John 1, 7. Walk in the light as he is in the light. That is always speaking of our character. It's not speaking of conduct there or behavior. It speaks of what our true character truly is. That's why Romans 8, 9 says, uh, You are not in the flesh, if so be that the Spirit of Christ dwell in you. The Spirit of God. is. So we know that. So positionally, we're not that. So, But it's very, very important to function in a cleansed conscience. And that's what the Word does when we have the opportunity to come to hear the Word. That's the cleansing, sanctifying, purging that takes place in Hebrews 4.12. The Word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. Then it goes into how Christ himself, as those types in the Old Covenant, you could cut them up in, in every piece and it was completely and utterly pure in the type. And all those sacrificial types, Christ obviously fulfilled. He's the great anti-type. So here we are experientially as believers that are in Christ. We're in this, we're in this evil world system like Christ was in John 17 and verse 14. He was in the world, but he wasn't of it. And in John 17, verse 16, we are in it, but we're not of it. We're not of it. There's nothing about how that Christ in us is our very constitution, that that we are literally made up of based upon his work in Ephesians 2.10, a work that's finished in John 19 and verse 30. And we have who we are has nothing to do with this evil world system, not a single thing. That's why it says in 1 John 2 and verse 15, love not the world. Don't let that be your experience. Because if it is, if you love the world, the love of the Father won't be an active energy source in you. And then the light, the scriptures, is not, not a thing to be considered to be pure anymore. So love not the world, neither the things. Oh boy, here's the most dangerous thing for believers, especially for young people and older people that haven't been taught the purity of who they are in Christ. The things of the world. Huh? Love not the world. Our outward evil, and we can see that, what's going on in this country, all over the world, but specifically in this country and in neighborhoods, the evil that is just outright, is one thing. But then it says the things of this world. And the things of this world, the enemy can use to cause us to be against Christ, even ignorantly. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not active in him. That's for believers, even though God loves us, but it's not being an active energy, a pure source of light. Many times we have been taught through the, through the years that the active energy of God's nature is love. The purity, and this is that word, the purity of his nature is light. And light is 
is an element that refuses to be mixed with any other thing. So here we are in this world system. In it, but not of it. And in this world system, there it is a time of wars and conflicts. We see that outwardly. But we also, in, in, in the outward form, with nations against nations, read Matthew 24, those things that are going to lead up that, to the second advent. Just, you can read it. And, and at those times, as it was in the days of Noah, in Matthew 24 and, and verse 37, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Now, again, in Genesis 6, 11, the days of Noah, they were, it was completely evil and violent. Evil, violent, evil was prevalent. What is it today in our country? So the coming of the Lord there in Matthew 24 and verse 37 is teaching second advent. Now in advent, his first advent was when he put on, he tabernacled himself in humanity in John 1 and verse 14, born in the womb of a 14-year-old peasant girl in Luke 1 and verse 35. He came to the earth. So advent has to come, has to deal with the earth. The first was coming. Because in 2 Peter 3, his coming was in 2 Peter 3, 9, he wasn't willing that any should perish. But the second advent has to do with the judgment of the earth. Has to do with that. All the signs are pointing towards that. Now, in between the two advents, we know clearly taught for centuries, as much as, as, much as many, even untaught believers, give in to the lies of the enemy, that there's going to be no rapture. Many believe that. Many Christians believe that. They believe, they, have, they believe that Christ didn't do enough on the cross, and so thereby they have to go through the tribulation period when clearly in Revelation 3 and verse 10, we will be saved out of. And that's speaking of the church in Revelations 2 and 3. It's speaking in those chapters. But 3.10 of Revelations, the Greek word is not dia, through the tribulation. I will save you through it. No, it's ek, out of. And this has to do with the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, and 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, and brought out again in Revelations 4 and verse 1. These verses clearly teach that. But here we are right now in this world, but not of it, and there's a time of wars. Now, there's wars without, we see, but there's also within us wars. And so how do we define that? And this is, what, and this is where we need the cleansing and purifying process of being purged with the purity of who we are in Christ to enter into our experience. And so this is James this is James, and we're going to see James, the fourth chapter, in verse 1. This is what wars, and these are inward wars that the flesh seeks to gain entrance in our experience over Christ in the experience. This is James 4, verse 1. From where, where do these wars and fightings, these quarrelings and these struggles and these fightings come among you? 
Don't they come then even of your lusts? The lusts of the flesh. You know, it says in 1 John 2 and verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Then these are the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that is bringing out in 1 John 2 and 16 what was, what was tempted to Eve and what Adam gave into, knowing better, but still did it anyway. In Genesis 3, 1 to 6, specifically Genesis 3 and verse 6. And so it says here, even the lust that war in your members. No wonder it says in Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't allow the enemy to use your body, your physical body, through his thoughts, bad thoughts and bad emotions to control your body, to be against Christ. Because in Matthew 12, 30, and Mark 9, 40, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not, meaning himself not gathered unto Christ through the yoke, scatters abroad. Meaning, how I live my life. It's not what I say that teaches my family, that teaches my children. It's how I conduct my life according to my true character. That's the lesson. That is the lesson. That's why there's a lot of problems. Not always, but that's why there's a lot of problems with parents being, and parents and children and children being disobedient because they react against what the parents say, but that they don't do that they don't show. But, but then, of course, it can be. You can have godly parents and unbelievable and still a child that doesn't submit their will, then they have that problem also. That war in your members. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your only reasonable service. And then be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And this is what the preaching and precise preaching and teaching of the word does. That's why we need to constantly have it in Ephesians 4 and verse 23. Having, constantly having your minds to be renewed a separating, sanctifying process in John 17, 17, which is the equal of Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the separating, purging, sanctifying process, so that our experience is the equal of the position that Christ is in us and who we are in him. And this is what these truths bring out. James 4, verse 2, You lust and have not. Why? Because lust is insatiable. It'll never be satisfied. And I, as a believer, can function in the lust of the flesh in, in Romans 8, 4 through 8, but then I don't experience the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that set me free from the law of sin and death in Romans 8 and verses 2 and 3. And so what this brings out here is, you lust and have not. You kill. Kill here is envy. Envy. You want what others have. Even you may have more than enough, but you still want what others have. You kill. It's envy. Envy's mur it's like murder. We can see that clearly in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23. Very, very clearly in the scriptures. You lust and have not. You kill and desire. 
to have and cannot obtain. Oh, how the enemy likes to get Christians mixed up in the world system with all this stuff. Thinking that their life on the earth is just what it is. When we are not of the earth, we are heavenly people on our way to a face-to-face meeting with him. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, to bring out true reality in Revelations 2 and verse 17. Okay, and, and you, you, you cannot obtain. So what do you do? You fight and war. You have not because you ask not. Verse 3 of James 4. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust, your pleasures. You know, 1 Timothy 5, 6. She that lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Death, no proper experience. Then it says this, and this is in James 4 and verse 4. It never says in the original, you adulterers, masculine. It says you adulteresses. And the reason that it says that and only that in the original is that because we are married to Christ. He's the bridegroom, we are the bride even in the fulfillment of the types with, with Christ's constant submission. That's what brings out the red heifer. And, and that's why it was a female offering. But that brought out Numbers 19 and verse 2, how he was constantly submitted to his father. And that's why we need to be constantly submitted to Christ, to the purity of a proper image that we have in Christ. And then, so it says, you adulteresses, Don't you know that the friendship of the world is enmity, strong, settled feelings of hatred with God? Romans 8, 7 says, The flesh is not subject to God, neither indeed can be. It is strong, the flesh in us, is strong, settled, unchanging thoughts and emotions of hatred toward God. Whether it's rebelliously or stubbornly in 1 Samuel 15, 23, or whether it's complete ignorance. Complete ignorance in Romans chapter 10, verses 1, 2, and 3. It could be complete ignorance, and then we go about trying to establish, like the Jews, our own righteousness. That's what happens with believers when they're taught Jewish things that were taught to the Jews and bring it over into Christianity. You remember what the Jews said? This is what they said. They said to God in in, in Exodus 19 and verse 8 and Exodus 24 and verse 3, tell us what to do and we'll do it. Really? Well, what did the law reveal in Romans 7? 12, that the law is holy, just, and good. Well, was then that was holy, just, and good? Bad? No. What was it, the law given? Why did he give the Jews the law? To show them in, in Romans seven thirteen that it brings out sin. And sin is not doing, sinning. It's the nature itself. And we are not of that old fleshly nature any longer. But God chooses to use it to keep us very humble until finally we shed that and we're in his presence. But there's a lot of learning for all of us that has to go on. And so know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. 
Can I function experientially as the enemy of God and not the purity of who we are? We can. So those are the wars that go on inwardly with us and is a separating, sanctifying process through the preaching and teaching of the word by the power of the Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14 and to show them, make them very crystal clear in the light of who Christ is to reveal the light of who we are in him to make it crystal clear. And then this separating, sanctifying process goes on. And in that process, in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, there is, there is godly sorrow. There's a godly sorrow, but it's never with regret. It's never with condemnation. It's so incredible to be taught the light and the purity of the light of the word, of the love of God. Because he always does this. He always teaches us in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 31 and 32, so that we are convicted, and conviction is always God, always the choice of allowing God to love us through our obedience. That's con- conviction's awesome, because there's never an ounce of condemnation in it. Never. And that what worldly sorrow is, and what causes regret when we live in the flesh, is condemnation. But does God condemn us? Now that we are in Christ, Christ having finished the work, God would condemn his own son again? Never. Never. And so there's wars. Then there's conflicts, and we see the conflict here. And we can read it in Ephesians 6, 10 to 19. We, are in, we have this conflict that's going on, and it's separating That's what the Holy Spirit prayer was for Paul towards the Galatians in Galatians 4 and verse 19. He said, I travail in birth until Christ be formed in you. In you. And that's what is going on with us. He's forming Christ in our experience based upon a proper image, a proper place and position in Christ. But there's got to be this sanctifying process of growth and grace in 2 Peter 3.18, so that we have proper knowledge, experiential, not just declarative. And knowledge is very important to be presented, but then it becomes a choice to receive it so that it becomes experiential. And this is very key. And these are, we are in a time of these wars and conflict. And if the enemy finds me uncovered, meaning the flesh, meaning, and then... The bed is far too short to lay on in Isaiah 28 and verse 20. The the covering is way too narrow. And we become exposed experientially to the enemy. We know that in, in, in Proverbs 10 and verse 12 and in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, love covers a multitude of sins. And what does that mean? It covers, yes, God's still loving us until grace comes in and we have a proper experience. He doesn't give us grace in Romans 6.1 and Romans 6.15 to live in sin. God has never given grace. So that when some of us, when we lived in disobedience and we know it, and we say, well, don't judge me, God's giving me grace, that's absolutely incorrect. He's not going to give grace. He's not going to give his precious son for us to live in sin. Ever. He considers him far more too pure. And he considers us far more too pure in in the son of his love, in Colossians 1 and verse 13, to ever put up with the flesh in us. It's love. 
that does the separating through grace. Through the grace and, and truth that Christ is in John 1 and verse 14. So the enemy tr- looks for areas where we're uncovered. Where did, what is the area where he looks that's uncovered? That the flesh is active in us. Then all he does is harass us continually. Do you know that some, some think that's the normal Christian life? Constantly being harassed by the enemy. It's not. Not. And that's how we get rid of these, these reasonings. And that's in 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is being held by the enemy where he can cause us to oppose ourselves in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25 and then blame others. Ultimately God, obviously. Held strong. And captive with our will. He's captured our will in 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. And that's a stronghold. How? Through these lies, these false projections and reasonings in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. Casting down imaginations. How? Through the preaching and teaching of the word, the clarity and preciseness of it. It's going to be very precise in these days because of the wars and conflicts that are going on within and that are all around us. And so he can always harass us. He always comes to seek to steal, to steal, kill, and destroy so that we don't function in the life that Christ is in us and who we are in him and then become an abundant source for others. In Ephesians 4 and verse 16, And so, there will always be conflict. We were born into conflict. Ephesians 6, 10 through 19 go clearly into that. We, every born, every person was born into a conflict. It's an angelic conflict. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 12. Boy, if we ever got that one right in our marriages and our relationships with one another in the local assemblies. Oh, if we ever got that one straight. We don't wrestle against blood and flesh. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. So there's, these, there's, this, there's always going to be conflict. But the separating, sanctifying process of the preaching of the word comes in and separates so that we experience the true victory that we are in Christ because he's in us. And that's Romans 8 verse 37. We're more than conquerors. There's nothing left to conquer. It's just getting the experience to be the equal of our position in Christ. Because there's going to be conflict that we experience and victory in our experiences. Because what days do we live in? What kind of days in, on, in this evil world system that we live in? They're called evil days. We're surrounded by it. Now I can, if I don't have proper preaching and teaching of the word, if I don't give precedence to the word, then I, to deal with these conflicts and these wars within, I will have to do something else. That's why we need to be led by God. There's times when we do need to do things. There's times. But we must know that we're being led by God in doing it. So that it doesn't become something where the enemy uses to separate us in our own life experientially from Christ. 
And so we know that the, that the flesh is the active will of man apart from Christ. There's where the enemy comes in and he harasses us. And there's where the purifying, sanctifying process of the Word of God begins to work beautifully when we receive it with absolute humility in 1 Peter 5, 6 and James 4, 6. Absolute humility and chastisement prepares us for that in Proverbs 3, uh, 10, uh, 11 and 12. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It prepares us, this chastising, and we've always said chastisement is the first step of God's loving, loving His love through grace. And He does that through the preaching of the Word. Did you ever, like me, did God ever spank the flesh in you in His love through the Word? Personally, in your own, in your own studies, in your own times of counsel? Yes, that's God loving us. Preaching of the word, there's chastisement involved. And when I don't want that, when I desire something more from the world, the pleasures of the world, more than the word of Christ himself, ultimately, I will never be satisfied because lust is insatiable and lust is that that is constantly in competition with the love of God through Christ in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when these things happen, when these things happen, uh, this is the enemy trying to get us to live in an uncovered place, an uncovered state, an uncovered experience. And, And based upon all his lies and all that he seeks to do. But you know what? And I tell you, I wrote this down. I wrote these thoughts down that God when he was dealing with me and giving me the, this truth. Love, who God is in 1 John 4, 8 and 16, love does the purging and purifying work through the grace and truth that Christ is alone without any works of the flesh. Because the flesh in John six sixty three Romans seven eighteen it profits nothing. And if I don't experience his love, the enemy convinces that in my experience there's nothing. And then that's where he comes in and says, here, take these pleasures to replace it. Here are all these lustful pleasures. Here's all these, listen, these escape mechanisms. And boy, I got to tell you, that's why we all need to be guided where, when, and how we're to go. If We need to be sent in every single case. Because if we're not, no matter what it is, oh boy, what it can be, what it amounts to. And we can be very ignorant of that if we don't have the preciseness of God's direction through the light of the scriptures for all of us. But he does this. And this is what makes it so imperative for our conscience experientially to be cleansed and purged. And this is what he does. The Holy Spirit taking the word of Christ taking the written word and make it a life-giving force in our experience so that the force of the enemy does in his lies, his wiles, his method of tricking us and tripping us up in Ephesians 6, 11, it's his wiles come in so that Christ deals with them. And then we put Christ between us and the devil in James 4. 
and verse 7. But that's what makes it so incredible and so important to have a cleansed conscience experientially. And that's what we brought out. That's what the Holy Spirit was bringing out to us this morning in Hebrews 10, 1, 1 and 2. And, and, and bringing out there in Titus 1 and verse 15. So that we don't function in an unpure, impure, and that's defiled. Something that's not pure has taken place in my experience. I've given place to the devil in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. And that, that is the place where he will bring in tremendous oppression and harass me. Get involved constantly. And we, we need, in, in, in Matthew 10 and verse 16, we do need to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. But even with dealing with evil in our, in our own lives, in, in the lives of others, we cannot give it precedence. We can't. We, we should not. Because in Psalm 36 verse 9, with you, O God, is the fountain of life. And what keeps a fountain moving? It's light, by the way that keeps it, gives it the energy in moving. With you, O God, is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. Because we know there's satanic light in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14. And in satanic light, he will take and interpret the scriptures through the will of man apart from Christ. We can see that in 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20. The word of God experientially has nothing to do with our will. Will of man interpreting it. And then get involved so much with trying to interpret evil in ourselves. Yes, it needs to be dealt with. In 1 John 1, 9, we confess it and instantly, instantly, hopefully it's instant. Many times it's not. And then have it dealt with. Otherwise, the enemy harasses me about my own things and then the lives of other people getting me involved and making that my business when it's not. It just isn't. And that will disturb and harass our rest. He wants to get us out of a place of resting in his love and being a vessel that supplies. Think of how much time we give, not in the purity of who Christ is in us and who we are in him with the proper image. And then we get involved mentally and emotionally with these things, things that are going on in people's lives. Instead of just prayer and being dependent, and allowing the word in Acts 6, 4, giving ourselves to prayer. And then that goes into not only praying for ourselves, but supplicating for others in Philippians 4 and verse 7. That's what gives us the peace. We have the purity of the peace of who Christ is in us. And it keeps out all that. Keeps our conscience being clean. Clean. Just a clean conscience, which is very, very necessary. And I believe that's the thing that Paul himself, you know, and, and us, us positioned just like Paul in Christ. Everything about Paul from the time he met Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, 1 through 6. It was all about Christ. And this is what he said. And, and, and here it is. And watch how this works beautifully. Let's begin to close this morning. In Acts 24, and verse 15, it says, And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that, the, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just, us, and the unjust. And herein, because of that, do I exercise myself, notice that, to have always a conscience void of offense. 
void of a defiled conscience toward God and men, unsaved, but especially to those that are born again. Void of offense. Psalm 119, 165, great peace of they that love your, your law, your teaching, your doctrine. That's just not the 10 Hebrew words in Exodus 23 to 17, the 10 commandments. No. That's the whole rule of God through the teaching of the word. Great peace of they that love the teaching and instruction of your word. Nothing will cause them to stumble. Nothing will cause them to be offended. Where we get offended is in the impurity of the flesh and and an improper experience through a defiled conscience. And so, again, the conscience, and this is what? The conscience is what we have, and that brings in the sense of responsibility and obligation to God. But how could we? How, How did we, apart from receiving Christ who cleansed the conscience? We could never be responsible Christ took all of that. Now we're responsible to receive it by grace, to function in it. How else could we be obliged to God? No way. We had that before the fall. It was something that he gave to all moral Christians, any moral people, anyone that could think, had the ability to think with God through having a human spirit created in the image of God. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Genesis 5, 2. Morally, being able to understand and receive by pure grace. You know, it was grace through the whole Old Covenant. What did Noah find in the eyes of the Lord in Genesis 6, 8? He found grace. That's right. Multitudes, multitudes, multitudes refuse it. They are more interested in the lust of the flesh. And God forbid it should be any of us that are in Christ. And he forbid each of us personally and not let the things of the world come in and take us away from local assembly, take us away from Christ, our own selves experientially. And again, there are times when God will, will have us to be with loved ones and to do things, of course. But that's where we need to know that it's him. Because if we're to be initiators and we lead them to go, and if it's not God, what are we initiating? <laughs> it's very, very key, very con- lovingly convicting for all of us. So this was what belonged. So what is the conscience? It was the knowledge of good and evil. But when they ate of the tree, then that's when, when, the, when they said that that man has become one of us to know good and evil. Yeah, but they could only, the only way that Adam and Eve knew, knew evil and the only way that we can know good and evil in the wrong way is through the flesh. That's right. That's why he said that. That's why he said what he said, that that man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Can I know good and evil? Apart from the light of the scriptures in Isaiah 8 and verse 20? Absolutely not. I will privately interpret the word and interpret it in others' lives as I do it for myself. And so in Isaiah 5 and verse 20, they put light for darkness and darkness for light. They put bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. They put good for evil. They call good evil and evil good. 
Boy, what a day that we're living in. Boy, do we ever need to be purified. And we'll have to go into these words, into these different words at a, at a, at a different time. But boy, are they loaded. They are loaded. And, and, the, and, and this is what it was said. This is what was said, that the Lord said. He had to, he had to send Adam and Eve out. Because in Genesis 3, verse 22, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of us to know good and evil. Yeah, apart from him. And boy, what happens with that, huh? Boy, do we need to, to understand. But we had the knowledge, to have the knowledge of good and evil is who we are in Christ and what he's dealt with. But then we know from that fall there in Genesis, uh, in the second chapter, all the way to the third, what happened in bringing out the world system in the fourth chapter of generation, evil entered in at the fall. The sense of things being right and wrong became completely defiled. The measure of knowing right and wrong who is the measure of knowing right and wrong? It's Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need that sense in ourselves of what is right and wrong. And that's having a pure conscience in Titus 1 and verse 15. And then when it says, and that's why it says this in Matthew 6 and, and, and verse 19, store up treasures, the treasures where moth and rust can't touch it. That's Christ in us and who we are in him in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He's the treasure within us. But store it up. Make sure, make sure, because where your treasure is, what you treasure and store up to be the most in your heart, that's that place where you value the most, that particular thing, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And heart, is it the expression in Matthew 6 and verse 21 for all of what is truly going on in the inner man, meaning the experience. That's why it's not so much what I say that teaches. It's how I conduct and live my life in proper character. I don't laugh at the things that the world laughs at. I don't get amused by the things... Furthermore, I don't need amusement in the world to have joy. My joy is in Christ. The joy of the Father in Luke 15, 7 and 9. Having that joy and seeing it and experiencing it in Romans 5, 11. And so then it is conscience. It's having a clear conscience. And so what does is, what is that heart or that conscience show me? What is true spiritual experience and what isn't? And that's what the word does, comes in and does the separating. But we have, we have our conscience and it's once purged. We see that. We see it crystal clear in the scriptures here. And this is where we as the church really glean from and need deeply the teaching that is in the book of Hebrews. Deeply need it. So we have these truths here. We have them, right? This is, this is uh, Hebrews 9, 9, which was a figure for the time present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, right? That could not make him that did the service complete as pertaining to the conscience. 
But we do have a purged conscience positionally, but do we have a proper experience of it is so key with, with the preaching and teaching of the word. We have it, right? It's, it's done once and for all in Hebrews 10.10. Now, done once and for all, it, it just simply means for us in Christ, it is done once for all of us in Christ. Because, uh, because when we believed and received the propitiatory sacrifice that Christ was towards the Father in Genesis 22 and verse 8, if we actually believe that, then we do receive Christ as a substitute, having all of our sins dealt with. But this in no means ever teaches that Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. He did not. He made it available because of propitiation. Yes. Because the force that upon someone without their will is not love because God never violates a person's will even with his will. Never. Does God violate himself? Listen to this. Does God use his will to violate himself? Never. And we were created in his image. The first gift he gave us was will. Peep, the sad thing is people in hell right now ultimately headed for the lake of fire they still have an act of will, but the conscience is like a worm consuming them. In Mark 9, 44, 46, and 48, it's the constant conscience and memory of what love did that they never can experience because they rejected it. It's very, very, very in intense in that, in that particular case. And we can even see it in the scriptures here. Uh, at the end of Isaiah, we see it very, very clearly there in, in Isaiah uh, 66 and verse 24. That's bringing out Mark 9, uh, 44, 46, and 48. The conscience is like a worm. They're going to be devoured with this, what evil has led them to. And so we're going to close this so we can have a little time if there's any questions or comments. But we are purged. We are perfect. We're complete as pertaining the conscience because all that was done was done by Christ himself alone on the cross. And so when that's known, when we experience it by faith, it doesn't change in us. <laughs> Boy, it doesn't change. For it was that one work that's experienced or known, which changes not. Malachi 3, 6, James 1 and verse 17. I'm the Lord your God, I change not. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no valuableness, neither shadow of turning. He doesn't do it. No, no. Our feelings, our emotions, our emotions may be bad because the thoughts are bad, according to the flesh. But our feelings may be dull, and we may look to them. You see that? Emotions, bad thoughts, we get consumed with them and make it our business, is it? And make it the business of others, what's, what they're going through? To make that? Yes, in prayer we pray, but we leave it where it belongs, at Jesus' feet. And we see that clearly in Luke 10, 38 to 42. We leave it at Jesus' feet where Mary was sitting, which meant that that's, she was, that's where all her cares belonged, where she could sow. She put all her cares there. 
First Peter 5, 7, Psalm 55, 22. So that then having that care, that anxious thoughts dealt with, she could be free to receive the engrafted word, word which was able to deliver her soul. And we see that in James 1, 21 to uh, 26. And so we're going to close with this. But the blood of Christ has always the same value in the sight of God. Always. He cannot... Listen, this is how he sees us. And he, and he needs us to see. God's love has a need for us to see what his love has accomplished. Not in terms of him having less, but that we, re, but that we receive it the way that he knows and sees us. In Job 36, 7. He never removes his eye from the righteous. Never. Never, never, never. He, de- he never does. See? But he wants us to be able to see it. That he does not see iniquity in us. He wants us to see that in iniquity, in sin, we can't see him. He never sees it in us. It's even brought out in in the teaching in Numbers 23, 19 to 23. Did he see iniquity in Jacob or Israel? No. The shout of a king was among them. And that's the king. We're married to him. We are married to Jesus, their, their, their future Messiah. So Hebrews, the 10th chapter, really brings out the clarity of a clear conscience, the work of Christ that, that, that did all of this for us in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. There can be no altering or repetition of the blood of Christ. Not. And there's where fleshly works get in. Thinking we can add something. We cannot do it. No. Imputed guilt. Listen, imputed. That means put to our account. That's why Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Period. Who's condemned? Someone that's been found to be guilty. There is no imputed guilt that exists for the believer. None. Not one. But you and I can fail in our experience by this, and then our communion, our intimate fellowship with God through Christ is interrupted. And that's where the operation of the Holy Spirit comes in to humble us and to lead us to confess it in 1 John 1 9. So that we get back into a place, hopefully. But sometimes we get involved in so many sins, it takes quite a while to get back experience, experientially to a proper position and having a purified conscience. Well, What is this teaching us? I need to have, me, and we need to have a cleansed conscience because outside of it, we cannot be led properly. We cannot be guided properly and because we cannot master ourselves in Matthew 6 and verse 24. And we thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, in your precious name that we do have a cleansed conscience. It's already cleansed. The work is finished. Thank you. We thank you and praise you for the purity of this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.